السلام علیکم ورحمۃ اللہ وبرکاتہ بسم اللہ والحمد للہ والسلاۃ والسلام علی رسول اللہ اما بعد اینڈ ویلکم ٹو دی آئی ایف جی تفسیر سیشن ٹویلو الحمد للہ محسن السلام علیکم ہاؤس تھنگس وعلیکم السلام ویری ویل ہاؤسنگسٹ positive way um, and then the second and third thing we want to talk about is the Islamic way that you can uh, really incorporate willpower and increase the willpower uh, in your life and then finally um, this this whole new trend of minimalism is actually very much a prophetic tradition so uh, inshallah without any further ado I'll dive in and Mohsin uh, as ever feel free to uh, you know chip in Uh, as and when you you'd like and and just actually before i dive in for people who are tuning in to this for the first time this is a, a business and ethics and finance focused tafsir and what we do is we go through some uh, key verses in the quran on these topics and we do um, a tafsir both from a spiritual side but then also from a very commercial and practical and real life perspective as well so let's start then So the verse that we're going to be talking about today is the 197th verse of Surah Baqarah and it goes A'udhu Billahi Minash Shaitanir Rajeem Al-Hajju Ashhurum Ma'lumat Faman Farada Feehin Al-Hajja Fala Rafatha Wala Fusuqa Wala Jidala Fil-Hajj Wama Taf'alu Min Khayri Ya'lamhu Allah وَتَزَوَّدُوا فَإِنَّ خَيْرَ الزَّادِ التَّقْوَىٰ وَاتَّقُونِ يَا أُولِي الْأَلْبَابِ So the translation is Hajj is during well-known months. So whoever has made Hajj obligatory upon himself um, therein by entering the state of Ihram, for example, there is to be for him no sexual relations and no disobedience and no disputing during Hajj. And whatever good you do, Allah knows it. And take provisions, but indeed the best provisions is the fear of Allah. And fear me, Allah says, O you of understanding. And so it's this last verse, the last section of that verse, that we're going to be particularly focusing on today. And that is, the, and take provisions, what the zawadu. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is ordering the people who are going on hajj, but also it's a more general principle here as well. What does a wadu, take provisions, prepare yourself for whatever journey you're going on economically and in terms of um, how you're going to get on. Um, but indeed, the best provision that you can take, the very best stuff that you can take for an arduous journey, for, your, for an arduous quest, is the fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the um, taqwa. Of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and so we want to really explore that and, and understand what that's all about so the first thing is that actually fear is something that we think is not a good thing right when we think fear I don't know about you Mohsin but I always think um, horror movies and you know uh, like that kind of sinister music that you hear 
and uh, and then more practically, I suppose, there's almost a fear that runs through all of our daily lives, right? It's something that, um, you know, we, we see as quite a negative thing. So, um, sorry, say that again. Exactly, I know. It's it's a very fearful thing that Monday mornings, apart from to this Monday, which is going to be a bank holiday, um, one of the few great things that the banks have given us, um, alhamdulillah. So, you know, fear is something that I think uh, impels us to do so much uh, in our life, right? It's the thing that lubricates and gets the world going round. Uh, what, what do I mean by that? Well, you know, think about the child who does his homework. In part, that's because of fear. Think about that spouse who buys their spouse a present if they if they know they've done something slightly wrong. You know, there's, there's an element of fear there, right? Think about, you know, when you're at work and you're given some work to do. Why do you do that? At, at least in part, there's a fear of the consequence of not doing that work. And so, and fear in marketplaces, Mustin. I mean, you know, greed and fear is the thing that makes the markets move, right? That's the thing that sets demand and supply and... Uh, you know, the things that go up and down. So I've got quite a funny story on this, actually. It's just from, um, so when I was doing my GCSEs, we got this new English teacher and he, he kind of twigged quite early on that the quickest way to motivate me was to make me fearful. And <laughs> he, he, he marked my first essay that I did for him. And I remember very vividly him coming up to me um, in the next lesson and saying, Mossin, if you want a D in your English exam, then carry on writing like this. And I maintain to this day that he is the only man that has got 100% out of me. Allahu Akbar. I'll, uh, I'll remember that. I'll remember that, inshallah. If I, if I ever need to motivate you, then I'll, uh, I'll, I'll remind you of the Ds. So, uh, look, and actually I've, you know, I've had similar experiences myself, like, you know, the, I, I, during my long journey of learning the Quran, uh, we, went, we studied with a whole bunch of different uh, you know, scholars and uh, who teach us. And, there, you know, there's really, uh, human nature boils down to a few key ingredients. And that's you've got either the carrot or you've got the stick. Or, or you've got, you know, a genuine passion for the subject or whatever, and I suppose that's part of the carrot, right? Either you really enjoy it or you're stimulated by it or you see like a reward at the end of it or you see uh, a negative outcome if you don't do it. And uh, and I experienced that whole gamut during my hif. So, you know, I went to a traditional uh, Molana back in the day who used to, uh, you know, do your classic slippers, beating up kids, whatever, and that was very much fear. Uh, and then, you know, you went the other end of the spectrum where you'd get uh, incentivized in various different ways uh, to do stuff by, you know, the more kind of younger teachers. And, and that had a you know, different uh, effect. So I suppose, you know, bring it, bringing it all together, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when he is saying, when he's talking about fear and he says, Fear me, or you who reflect, or you who have um, reflection and lub. Uh, and you have, you know, wisdom, and you have uh, understanding. Fear me. When Allah Subhanahu wa Taala is saying that, He gets that that is the thing that's going to motivate us as human beings. That is the thing that's going to actually get the best out of us. Like, I mean, if you think about it, right? We've got uh, this universe has been created, and Allah Subhanahu wa Taala has created it with our 
best interests at heart. He knows uh, what's good for us and he's communicated that to us in the Quran. And um, he's laid out for us that this is the best way that you should live your life, both for this life, but certainly for the hereafter. And there's that journey that we go on, right? We go on that, this journey of self-development. And we as human beings, we need to forego the short term for the long term benefit. We need to uh, f forget about our instant gratification, our desires, and we need to look at the long term. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he knows that the really the best way that I can get these human beings, because I've created them um, to do this, is by a degree of fear and by a degree of um, you know, greed or the carrot of the stick. And so Allah, and the Quran, um, you know, Muhsin, when you read this, the Quran is just uh, full of carrots and full of sticks. Every so often, you know, every, every, pretty much every, you know, uh, verse of every page that you read, there'll be some form of carrot and some form of stick. And, and I, I think that's because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he completely gets, uh, well, of course he does, because he's Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he's our creator. He completely gets how we as human beings tick. Yeah, and it's it's fascinating, really, because I was doing some reading on this beforehand, um, and th there is this whole concept of the fear of loss is greater than the desire to win, and there are numerous studies kind of backing this up. I'm sure the audience can go away and have a look, um, but quite a simple example is if I give you, um, you know, a 95% chance of winning uh, 10 grand from me, or I just say there's a hundred percent of you taking nine thousand four hundred. You're pretty much always going to take the nine thousand four hundred, I would say, and that really epitomizes and, and, and symbolizes the idea of the, the fear of loss being greater. And if you think about it, you talked before about fear making the world go round. There are whole industries actually that that rely on fear. So look at insurance, for example leaving aside the Islamic discussion on insurance, but think about what is the emotion that customers go through when they buy insurance? You know, okay, you've got to buy car insurance from a legal perspective, but your optional insurance, what is the driver behind that? And it is undoubtedly fear. Agreed, agreed. And, and I suppose um, the, uh, yeah, I completely agree that there was... Um, um, I saw an advert on life insurance, I think, and that was quite a powerful advert. And I almost thought that was like pushing the line a bit. And it was a legal and general advert, which I didn't necessarily associate with pushing the, you know, the the, uh, the letter on this. Um, and it was basically saying that you know if you die, what's going to happen to your kids, essentially, and uh, and and the whole point of it was that you should look into life insurance uh, and cover your back yeah and and the marketing guys have obviously got this down to a t so you'll hear for example even more simple things like i don't know double glazing or whatever they won't say uh save 100 pound they'll be like stop losing 100 pounds every year and yeah. It, yeah you know that small tweak in the language is designed to drive at this whole idea of fear makes sense yeah and and it's really is fascinating, I find. It's, I think it's one of the miracles of the Qur'an, how in tune it is with our psyche and, you know, getting the best out of us. I mean, Ghazali has a, f a fantastic little quote on this. He says that, you know, the fear of Allah 
And this is like, this is bringing into action, you know, that point I was making about how taqwa and the fear of Allah helps us develop as human beings and helps us reach that self-actualization or that end point that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants us to reach and we aspire to reach. Fear gets us there. So Ghazali says, fear of Allah rips away desires and moderns luxuries so that cherished sins become reprehensible. Just as a honey lover, someone who likes honey, is repelled by it when he learns that it has poison in it. This is how fear burns desires, disciplines the organs, subordinates the heart and gives it tranquility. But it also enables the heart to rid itself of pride, hatred and envy, and it leaves it absorbed in fear. And hence the heart becomes preoccupied with its own worries and looks towards its best interest in the long run. It is then engaged in only matters like meditation, self-analysis and struggle. It cherishes its time and its moments. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he gets what makes us tick and he uh, takes us to that next level. So that's kind of uh, one of the spiritual downloads uh, from this verse that I got and um, the, the second kind of uh, spiritual download if you want to call it that is that we let's think about taqwa for a moment what is taqwa it comes from the root word waqaya wikaya which is you know the, the idea of the shield and what what is what are you shielding from with this taqwa well this fear of Allah this taqwa is protecting you from sinning and actually uh, let's go back to the verse. The verse says, And seek provisions, but indeed know that the best of provisions is taqwa. And interestingly, there is a hadith that says that sinning leads to the end of provision. Sinning actually decreases one's provision. And so when we, are, uh, when we are, have taqwa and we avoid sinning, the net result of that is actually that we increase our provision and certainly we don't decrease our provision. And so actually if this is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in a backhanded way saying that you should fear me and you should have taqwa in me and I will sort out everything else. There's actually a, a really good verse, uh, I believe in, I want to say Surah Hashr, I might be wrong. Um, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَمَن اللَّهَ يَجْعَلْ لَهُ مَخْرَجًا and, and in that verse as well, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he links rizq um, with um, with taqwa whoever has fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Allah will set for him a way out and he will give him risk and sustenance from where he did not even imagine it coming I mean how many times um, you know does that happen to you and I Mohsin where you know if we do that one good thing at some point and it's hard to do but then because we've done it, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he will give us risk from somewhere completely unexpected. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, fascinating that he's linking it here, but also in that verse as well. This whole idea that have taqwa and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give you that risk that you need, um, that you're after. Yeah, 100% Ibrahim. And um, <laughs> I've got this funny vision of you uh writing uh, you know these elaborate books that you get nowadays or like some really elaborate linkedin post on how to become a millionaire and the answer actually is just stop sinning and do good deeds um, yeah. and it reminds yeah. me actually of, of that um you know that story with uh imam shafi well it's not a story it's a, it's a poem isn't it where um he talks about his his memory kind of you know going and stuff like that and, and you'll be able to discuss it in much more 
uh, better terms than I will. But the the root problem there again was, was sinning, wasn't it? Right, exactly. So the verses, uh, the, the verses are. Uh, show, I mean, there's lots of ex- versions of this particular verse um, that I've heard. heard but ila an that I complained to my teacher Wakir about the uh, the ailment of my hifth. My hifth had decreased. He said, he guided me to leaving sinning. And he said, because the ilm of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is, is light, it's nur. Uh, and uh, the nur of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it does not come to the one who is a sinner. And, and frankly, you know, I, I found this in my experience as well. And I don't know about you, Mohsin, but I find that you know, when your iman is at a high level, that you are performing better. And when you're pushing yourself and, you know, when your willpower, and, and I suppose this brings me nicely onto the next point about how willpower is a muscle. And, you know, as a Muslim, as a strong Muslim, when you're fired, firing on all cylinders, when you're doing fajr, you're doing it on time, you're doing it in the masjid, you're waking up, you might even be doing tahajjud, you're you know, lowering your gaze, you're giving charity, you just everything is going really really smoothly and that sometimes you know we hit that kind of purple patch where everything's clicking and when when that is happening uh, I find that things around me become a lot easier so you know as a kid when I was in that deep in that immersive kind of environment where I was doing hifth of the Quran for hours every day I mean I, I've not read that much of Quran uh, you know since unfortunately but when you're learning the Quran by heart you're completely immersed in it, and and at that point, I found everything else around me, you know, my studies and whatever I was doing, I found that really easy, and it just all kind of made sense, and it clicked, and it was straightforward, and and I found that as my kind of uh, you know time spent with the Quran, unfortunately, naturally, it will uh, go down, uh, and I, w- I wish it, you know, it, it didn't, but as it has gone down, I find that. Uh, my overall performance, my the strength of my willpower, the strength of my hiv, all of that suffers as a result. And it's a really fascinating, um, but very, um, you know, uh, you wouldn't think it of, you know, from just the scientific perspective, but it's genuinely what I've experienced. And I don't know about yourself, if, if you've experienced something similar. Yeah, no, absolutely have. Um, and even the other point is, with me is that what I found is that when you're going through the purple patches, you've described it. It's not just that everything else falls into place. It's that everything else sort of seems it, it has the significance that it should, i.e. everything's in proportion. Whereas otherwise, and, you know, me and you are up to lots of various different things and we're busy doing this, that, the other, and we've got families and, and all that. It's very easy to be overwhelmed and and lost in all the different things that you're doing, and right. frankly, it's probably a, a failure and a weakness on my part because all of that is not anchored by you know being in that purple patch, and that's partly why I'm really looking forward to Ramadan because these moments that Allah gives us, you know, surely some of the hikmah of that is is exactly for these kind of you know reset button situations where you kind of rein yourself back in and you're forced to do these things because, you know, if there's one time in the year that you should make an extra special effort, it is, of course, Ramadan. And, you know, you hope that 
that is then the, the the momentum and the impetus for you to go on and, and achieve better things much in the same way for example that you know Liverpool or Man City or whoever it is right now they'll go off on their summer holiday soon but then just before the season they'll have their really rigorous uh, pre-season training camp in the United States or whatever it is and and you know we as Muslims should should look at these opportunities much in the same way and treat them in a way like athletes do agreed agreed and and I uh, you know I say this to myself first I feel like we don't take enough benefit from Ramadan we um, it just comes and then it goes and um, as I speak certainly as a you know as a professional working life you know working in the city it's busy and it's very easy to you know, let Ramadan just kind of pass by and uh, and I think we should take inspiration from those people in our community who really focus on Ramadan and get the absolute maximum they can out of it because uh, you know this whole idea uh, you know willpower let's go coming back to the whole point of willpower is is a muscle and the more you exercise it the more you get good at putting your long-term benefits before your short-term desires the better you will be at life full stop there are a bunch of psychological studies that show that kids who had that ability to forego their immediate impulses and to put their long-term benefit before everything else were actually when they grew up as adults far more successful than the kids who gave into their short-term impulses and so this ability to control your willpower and to develop that muscle is not only absolutely crucial for our akhirah, but actually in this dunya as well, quite frankly, um, I think it, it will have massive benefits as well. And, and our religion is such that it designs us so that we're constantly having to exercise our willpower because actually that's the ingredient that gets us to achieve the best form of ourselves. Uh, when you're having to, you know, every day we're forced to get up for Fajr. Every day we're forced to, um, you know, pray consistently during the day. Every day we're forced to eat only halal. We're forced to lower our gaze. We're forced to um, not talk um, with members of the opposite, opposite gender in a flirtatious way. Or, you know, X, Y and Z. There's a whole bunch of things all around us where we're constantly having to exercise our willpower. And I think a lot of us, we don't necessarily do it consciously, but I, I want us to do it consciously because this is actually um, the very journey that's going to get us to where we want, it, want ourselves to be uh, ultimately. So I suppose one other thing to add to this whole discussion about um, willpower and fear and all this stuff is that this is very much a, uh, an emotional thing as well. With Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You know, when you fear someone, uh, so far I've, you know, I've, we've kind of to some extent made it out as a quite a transactional thing in a way where you can benefit from that fear or you can benefit from that willpower. But let's have a think about a hadith. There's a hadith where Rasulullah says that if through fear of Allah, tears, even to the extent of a fly's head, uh, fall from any believer's eyes and drop on some part of his cheek, he will be kept away from hell by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that's in Ibn Majah. So this, this hadith is talking about someone who f- fears Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to the extent that he cries. 
So what's this all about? And, and this is something that's so precious in of itself that Allah SWT is saying that I'm going to take this person out of hellfire as a result of this. So what's going on there? Well, I was, I was reflecting on this and I'd be interested in Mohsin if you've got any other thoughts on this, but I was thinking that it comes back down to an emotional connection here, right? This is, this is very much an emotional thing where you have a relationship with Allah SWT and you know He's your creator. He gave you everything. He gave you all of these organs and, and yet you have used these same gifts that He has given you and you have used that for ill. You have used that for sin. And then you, then you think that on the Day of Judgment, uh, Allah SWT um, will make uh, these things speak. Um, uh, I can't remember the exact um, uh, ayah, but He will make uh, the, the hands and the feet uh, speak and they will testify against you in the tongue. It will speak out against ourselves and for the things that we've done. And, that, and that's really because Allah SWT gave it to us and we've abused it. And so there's that guilt there. There's that, um, you know, betrayal almost, or there's there's an element of shame there. And I, I think that is, is getting us uh, moving very much in the right direction. And that reminds me of, um, I, I can't remember where, I think it's somewhere in the 30th Jews, and you, you'll probably know this, but um, one of the surahs, one of the surahs Allah asks mankind, "Ma kareem," yeah, which is such an incredible way of just putting those feelings straight back into our hearts. You know, those feelings that you mentioned about, uh, you know, guilt and so on and so forth. Like Allah addresses that so beautifully, um, and we are frankly neglectful of Allah, and 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 why is that? Agreed. Agreed. I'm trying to find uh, the actual verse. It's such a powerful verse. Um, let's continue on, actually. So, so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he, he wants this emotional connection um, as well to be part of our understanding of taqwa and, uh, and fearing him. So... Um, let's move on now and uh, talk to, talk about um, how this whole thing uh, applies to the 21st century man. So we've done the spiritual download section. We want to now talk about this 21st century man. And in this verse, when Allah SWT says, And seek provision. And verily, the best provision that you can actually seek is taqwa. There is inherent within this um, a teaching of minimalism. There's in, inherent within this this understanding that we shouldn't splurge out and just buy objects and goods and assets and whatever and stock up and have loads and loads of provisions um, in order to you know meet with all eventualities. Allah Subhanahu wa Taala is saying, don't do that. Um, obviously, do the basics, but then actually the best taqwa is to have the fear of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala and that get you far. And, and I was reflecting on this whole trend that we've seen of minimalism that's come about, this movement away from, um, you know, clutter. And at heart, I think it's a movement away from an attachment to objects and things and uh, items and, uh, you know, stuff that just fills our house. 
and and I think it's not just objects, but it's also a minimalist approach to um, everything. And uh, th- this is very much a prophetic way. I mean, Rasulullah examples of the kind of minimalism that he had. He, of course, would only um, eat one third of his um, fill. Like his stomach would always be one third empty and one third would be um, water and one third would be the actual food. So that that's minimalism in food. And I think that's completely passed us by in, a, in, a, in an age of gluttony. He used to have three uh, thobes uh, and he would rotate between them. And sometimes he would, you know, run out of thobes where, you know, they were, if, if one was dirty and the other one became dirty, then he would have to wait until they dried in order to have enough clothes to wear. Uh, his furniture in his household, he had a mattress of palm fibre, he had some bowls and some crockery, and he had armour. And, and that was basically it. I mean, there's a famous hadith about how Aisha, she got these cushions and they had pictures of, I think, birds on them. And, and there's that whole, you know, discussion about images and in the household and stuff. And there's, this hadith comes into play uh, for that. But the thing that I took away from that, one of the things, was that having new cushions in the household was a massive deal for the Prophet. Because, you know, if you've only got a handful of pieces of furniture, then having cushions and then to say that you should get rid of these cushions is um, is a pretty big indication of how little... Um, you have in your, you know, your um, material goods, and then Allah, uh, Prophet Sallam, he was minimalist in his speech as well. So he said that I've been favored over other prophets in six th- different ways, and one of the ways was that I've been given jawami al kalim. I've been given the gift of concise speech, and uh, Muhsin, as you know, you and I as lawyers and uh, people who have to spend time editing our videos and audio, we know very well that we don't have that gift of concise speech. But actually... No, I, was, I was just going to say, actually, that that is such a fascinating uh, statement of the Prophet ﷺ because, you know, when you're, um, when you're growing up and going through GCSEs and all this stuff, we are taught in schools, or certainly I was taught in schools, or you're encouraged in order to hit the, you know, the right marks in the exam to use lots of different words and quite flowery language and stuff like that. As you get older, and certainly in our profession, what clients really value, and you know the the kind of the, the really good training that me and you have had, is really all about getting your drafting down into really quite concise, clear language. And actually, when you're talking to clients, and even simple things like emails, just get the point across quickly, and don't you know don't beat around the bush and all that sort of stuff. And that is exactly what um, it seems to me exactly what the Prophet Sallallahu is was gifted with that concise speech, and it's so so uh, important, frankly, as a skill for any Muslim out there, any person out there, um, because there's nothing more frustrating than hearing people like me and you going on for ages. <laughs> agreed, agreed, and and I think that um, with this minimalism stuff there's there's so much benefit that we can get from it just generally as well so there's this whole idea of zuhud in islam this asceticism and having uh, a very very simple approach to life and and i think that throughout our tradition there was um, a real celebration 
of this, of this whole approach. And I think one of the big benefits that we get from minimalism is that it makes us see things in the right perspective. It gets our dunya and akhirah um, priorities completely in the right order. It gets us to think about the akhirah as opposed to the material dunya, you know, the things that will not last. Uh, the the akhirah is better and everlasting. Uh, and and there, there's some um, very interesting different quotations that I found. Al-Mustawrid al-Fihri, he related that the Prophet ﷺ said that the dunya as compared to the akhirah is just like when you one of you dips his finger in the sea. Let him see how much water his finger will carry. Like if you take out that finger from the sea, massive sea, and, and the water that is on it, the dunya, this thing that we so strive for, I mean, it just boggles the mind. This dunya is compared to the droplets on that on that finger. And then the akhirah is the rest of the water in that ocean. It just boggles the mind. And I think, you know, our priorities, when we listen to a hadith like that, they need to change. And then there's another hadith, how Prophet ﷺ said, that nothing fill, nothing fills the son of Adam, except dust. So nothing really will fulfill or satiate a human being until death. That's what he's indicating. Like when that mouth is full with dirt as, as he's buried, that's the only thing that will satiate him. And, and I think that's very true. I mean, uh, you and I, you know, we've experienced this in our life, that as you grow older, you become more prosperous. You do have more financial success. But that's never, ever enough. And there's always someone more. There's always something more to do. And I'm sure that even billionaires, when, they're, when, they're, when they have one billion, they look to get 50 billion. And they'll feel that they're poor relative to who they're comparing themselves to. And so um, uh, this, this whole minimalist thinking is actually something that I think is very, very prophetic in that it kind of takes us back our base and realigns what our priorities really should be. So um, the next section is the story of the verse. Uh, Mosa, I know you had you had some uh, stories from Hajj because obviously you've done Hajj, um, and I yeah. haven't yet. So yeah, so I um, I mean this this verse the you know the the subject of this tafsir is. Uh, always brings back memories of of Hajj for me naturally. Um, so I went on Hajj in 2014, so five years ago now. Um, and the probably one of the most vivid memories that I've got of Hajj is when. So for any of you who have been to Hajj, you'll know that the British tents in Mina are very very far in. Um, they're basically they might as well be in Muzdalifah. They're that far. So that means a lot of walking. So after you've done the kind of pelting of the um, of the pillars, then you kind of you know you can sh you know freshen up and then you make your way back to your tent, and it's a long long way back. So <laughs> my wife and I one night decided that we were going to make the journey back, and um, it, it's a long story short. Um, for, it was my wife's fault that we ended up getting lost. Um, and we got lost for six hours 
and it took us six hours to get back to our tent. And bearing in mind, we were in Ihram. It was, you know, middle of the night. We were already tired, um, all, the, all the rest of it. And you are very much having to do everything to restrain yourself because you're in Ihram. And the thing that kept coming back to me was this, was this verse, um, because, you know, there are three key things, uh, that Allah explicitly discourages or forbids in this verse. And one of them is quarreling. And it's mm-hmm. so easy in Hajj to quarrel because there are so many things that go wrong and there are so many things about which you can quarrel. But this verse was the one that kept ticking in the back of my mind and stopped me from, uh, you know, having it out uh, and quarreling with my wife. And it's a good job, actually, in the end, because it turns out that um, at the time we, d- we didn't know that she was actually expecting and so if it would have been a, a very, very harsh quarreling uh, yeah. from, from me if that had been the case. Alhamdulillah. That's, uh, it's, that sounds like hard work. Oh, mashallah. So um, next section um, before we conclude is uh, the insight of the verse. So the insight of the verse for me here was that this is a discussion about dunya, right? This is a discussion about what stuff to take with you on this journey of Hajj. Uh, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He has taken this discussion about dunya and implanted, slap bang in the middle of it, a discussion about the akhirah. Because He said, But actually, the best of provisions is taqwa. And what taquni ya ulil albab? And fear me, or you who have um, reflection of wise people or, or wisdom. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He's plonked. The Akhirah in the middle of this. And he does this in another place of the Quran as well, where he adopts the same kind of phraseology as well. He says, Ya Bani Adam, uh, So, O children of Adam, we have certainly sent down for you garments to cover your nakedness and for adornment. And yet, the garment of taqwa, that's the best. Such are the signs of Allah. So that they may take admonition. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, same thing that he's done in this verse as well. Where he's, you know, this is a discussion about um, clothing, right? Very, very dunyawi kind of thing. But in the middle of that, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he's sent down this, um, this akhira bit. And he says, وَلِبَاسُ taqwa ذَلِكَ khair," And the garment of taqwa, that's the best. Uh, and so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he is constantly taking us back from the dunya to the akhirah and making us realize that this is a means to an end um, uh, inna lillahi there's a uh, there's a poem by imam shafi'i inna lillahi ibadun futana talaqu dunya wa khafu alfitana nadharu fiha falamma arifu innaha laysat li hayyin watana ja'aluha lujjadan wa attakhadu salih al-a'mali fiha sufuna that allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he has some very clever servants um, they, they divorce the, the dunya and they fear the fitan um, uh, when they look into this world they see that this is not the resting place or the final destination um, of the living they make it a sea an ocean they make this life an ocean. sufuna, And they make the good deeds that they have a ship that will traverse this ocean of life. 
and gets them to the thing that actually really is everlasting. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he is kind of getting at the same, he is saying the same thing here, which is make this world, the dunyawi aspects of this world, something much more meaningful and transcendent and getting towards the akhirah. So action points. Um, so I, I've got a couple more and feel free to chuck in any if you have any. Um, so the first thing I think is, you know, just building on from that last point, think about just a mundane thing that you do every day. And it could be your, uh, you know, your morning ritual. It could be how you eat your food in the evening. It could be your commute. It could be anything, right? How you drive, anything. And then think about how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would want you to imbue that daily thing, that dunyawi thing with taqwa and take it to the next level. So that's my first action point. And then the second one is that Rasulullah he said, uh, Remember often the destroyer of pleasures. Remember often the death, which is going to be the destroyer of pleasures. And when we do that, when we remember death, we are instantly increasing our taqwa. We are instantly increasing our willpower. We are instantly increasing our resistance to sinning. Because if we vividly remember death, then we know that these short-term things are suddenly much less important. And you know we, we have real willpower to be able to resist that. So um, any thoughts from you on, on that front, Mohsin? Any action points? For our listeners um so agreed with that with those um the other one i would say is just taking this verse or these verses in the round and how they relate to hajj itself and obviously we're not too far from hajj and maybe we should be as an audience obviously we've got ramadan around the corner but we should also be thinking about um Hajj and increasing our good deeds in those days of the uh, Hijjah, and also for those of the audience, because and I'm saying this because I know people who you know they've been wanting to go to Hajj for years, but they can't quite do this. And assuming that that is the case within the audience, whether that's a financial reason or whether it's a more practical reason that you can't go to Hajj, maybe think about things that you can do just to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in in the absence of going to hajj even right. if that's something straightforward like um refreshing your mind on the fiqh of some key hajj aspects like ihram and the fiqh of hajj is actually really interesting because it, it's something usually that people only do once in their lifetime so you've got this flurry of learning beforehand and if you're anything like me you'll pretty much forget it afterwards. But wouldn't it be nice if we actually learnt Allah's deen for the sake of learning Allah's deen rather than just doing it for the actual journey and just doing it for, you know, his pleasure? Wouldn't that be something quite nice? No, I agree. I agree. Jazakallah khair. So, um, so there you have it, folks. Three uh, to-do points for you. And... Um, you know, Jazakallah khair once again for tuning in and inshallah this tafsir is a every two week type of thing. So inshallah we'll be back with you in a couple of weeks uh, on the tafsir. But in the interim, there's a whole load of other content that we'll be churning out your way. And, um, you know, if you 
have benefited from this, then please do support our channel and make it possible for us to keep on you know, producing this kind of content by um, subscribing and um, leaving a re review um, on whatever podcast platform that you're on. That's super helpful for us and it helps us reach to a wider audience as well. Jazakallah um, khairan. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.